How has my thinking and positionality changed throughout this PhD journey? Well, today on the show, it's just me as I share all about the ups and downs from the last year or so of my doctoral work. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. So back in the fall of 2021, I left my dream job for another dream, to dig deep into questions that I had been just scratching at throughout my classroom teaching experience. Well, now almost two years into my PhD program and over a year since my last update episode, you can find that one on episode 67, I'm here to share the highlights, the challenges, the hiccups, and of course, the mini victories. There's really no need for much of an intro for this one, so let's get right to it. I see these kinds of solo episodes as a kind of time capsule. I think that they're mostly for me to look back and remember on this journey, on this process. But I also, you know, see the numbers and I see the statistics on the other side, on the back end of the podcast, and I know that people are listening to these, which always sort of surprises me, so that I hope in some small part by sharing this in a public forum. I want to demystify the PhD process. I hope that somebody who's listening to this could use this episode as a mirror into their own experience in education or a window into another possible way of being in education or perhaps even a sliding glass door, something that might be a portal into a new chapter for you. So we're going to go through. The last time I did an update episode, it was... January of last year. So it's been a while and I've got a lot of things there. It feels like a bit of a frenzy of trying to do all the things in a very short amount of time, which is also part of the reason why there was a a nice juicy gap in episodes uh, for the podcast. Full disclosure right now, I have a son who's homesick from school today, so I don't, the Pokemon is playing downstairs. This will probably be one of those episodes that I stop and start 80,000 times, and you might hear some Pokemon or some yelling for snacks in the background, but that is part of being a mom and doing a PhD and this chapter of a more flexible work situation, which is one of the reasons why I really enjoy this chapter, but it also makes it hard. Uh, So just to recap, the things that I have done since my last update, I finished all of my coursework for this PhD um, this past summer of 2022. I then submitted another really big grant application to SHRC um, this fall of 2022. I did not get SHRC funding this year, which was a whole other roller coaster of emotions, which perhaps is another episode. Uh, But yeah, it was a bummer. I had found out that I had gotten to the third round, which felt amazing. But then there was like a four month waiting period where I was just waiting to hear back from the offices in Ottawa. And then they actually give you some statistics, like what your score was and the different categories and how close you were to getting it. And I was like six people away. So I wasn't at the bottom of the pack, which again, I'm like, okay, that's tricky. I don't know if they tell the person at the bottom of the pack that that's where they are. Um, And I wasn't the first person who didn't get funded. So I don't know, that probably would have been harder. They say that the people who get silver at the Olympics are the least satisfied with their results. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a letdown because Shirk does matter. Uh, this, I mean, if you don't know, if you're out of the um, 
grad school world, Shirk is kind of a, I like to think of it as kind of like the Olympics for nerds. It's the big federal granting agency for research in Canada. Shirk stands for Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. I think I got that right. If you are a student in the funded cohort of the PhD program where I go to school, you are required to apply for one big external scholarship each year. So oftentimes that's shirk, but there are other big scholarships. You know, like Vanier is one. Um, the Trudeau Foundation has another big scholarship. Um, Ontario Graduate Scholarship is another one, OGS. So shirk is like the big one. And it's kind of tricky because when you, I, I reflected on this in another episode, but if you get Shirk, you're more likely to get more funding from other agencies and from Shirk later. So it's kind of like a gatekeeping mechanism that allows other people to see that other people in the academy have said, your work is good, or we approve of the stuff that you're doing, or this is worth pursuing. So I did that in the fall, submitted that big grant application, felt great about it. And then kind of the best thing happened, I started teaching a grad level course to teacher candidates. This fell into my lap and it was completely, it wasn't accidental, but it was very fortunate. The person who was supposed to teach the course pulled out very last minute, they got another job offer. So there was an emergency posting and the rules are that you cannot teach a graduate level course if you are a PhD student. I could teach undergrad courses, but my, I don't say department, but my faculty at University of Toronto is just grad students. So OISE, Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, they don't have any undergrad programs. So as a PhD student, you don't really teach anyone. You can TA and you could teach undergrads in another faculty or another university, which many of my colleagues have done. But actually teaching a course by yourself is a very rare thing. So they posted this position in the chapter of the union, the unit of our union that has PhDs already. And my one of my supervisors had emailed me, he had taught the course before, and he said, are you interested? And I answered him right away. I'm like, of course I'm interested, but I don't think I'm allowed to. And he's like, well, they are desperate. They need somebody. So there may be, there may be exceptions made in this kind of situation. So I wrote back immediately to the person who was uh, recruiting for this position, introduced myself, and they said, okay, well, let's see if anyone applies to it with a PhD. And if not, I'm glad to know that there's somebody interested. Nobody applied who had a PhD. So then it went to my unit of the union of people who don't have PhDs yet. And I applied and I got the position. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this experience of teaching because a lot of my dissertation writing and work will be wrapped up in this experience of teaching teacher candidates. But in short, it was literally the highlight of my career so far. It felt like everything that I had been working towards as a teacher, all of the things that I've been doing and learning kind of like culminated in this experience. And the people that I taught are just some of the best humans that I've ever met in my entire life and gave me so much hope for the future of teaching, the future of education. And like, they're my people. Like I just, every day when I got to come in to, and teach those people in that classroom, my heart just exploded in my chest. So one of the best things that happened to me. And it was 
like an insane amount of work. I had two syllabi from two different people who taught it, my supervisor and then the person who taught it last year. And I could kind of like combine them and make the syllabus my own, but I had a week to do it. It was bonkers. So with very little preparation, I was sort of designing the plane while it was in the air. So that was a huge part of my fall and took up an enormous amount of bandwidth, but it was also so rewarding. So I didn't mind how much energy was going in there. I also at the same time uh, took a bonus course. I finished all my required coursework and uh, my supervisor said, I'm teaching this course in the methodology that you're learning through and that you're doing for your study, critical practitioner inquiry. Uh, You really should take this course. And, you know, I was hemming and hawing on it. I'm like, ah, I really don't want to take on another thing right now. Should I audit it? And then like several of my PhD colleagues that I really adore were also in that course. And I just thought, you know what, I, I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to figure out a way to get the readings in. And I'm really glad that I took the course in the end, but it was a lot. And uh, this was a good lesson for myself of trying to make a course work for me. So during that course, I use the readings and I use the assignments to finish my comprehensive exam. I submitted that in October and I used that work to also submit my ethics proposal in December and then also use the readings and the discussions and the assignments to work on my research proposal and I was able to turn in a big chunk of the methodology section of my research proposal. So while I was, you know, at my capacity during that fall semester and a thousand percent, you know, pushing the edges of what I was capable of doing, I was able to get really important hoops jumped through during that process. So much of the PhD process is checking off boxes, jumping through hoops, doing the required things to move forward and to show that you're progressing in that program. And I think the hardest part about it is that the timeline of how long you have to do those hoops and to submit those essential documents can be quite spread out and that you are really managing your own journey. So by getting a lot of those things done in a very short amount of time, there was a toll paid on my mental health, but I now feel a little bit of relief from that. During that fall chunk, on top of all of that, my incredible supervisor was also doing field work at that time. And I did not want to miss out on that. It was a rare opportunity to get to work with actual students uh, because of COVID and all the restrictions, everything had been through Zoom sessions, which is different and interesting, but not the same as in person. So we were able to do some really interesting data collection with some site-specific drama work. And drama is not in my field of study, but this work is so meaningful and I love the team that I'm working on. So it always feels like a enriching and in life-giving experience. So that was also part of um, some of the challenge with scheduling, but also some of the joy giving. So by the end of this, uh, by the end of the course, by the end of me teaching my own course, so this is around February of 2023, I was feeling just completely done. There isn't really time to take 
vacations in this program. Like there's always something else kind of on the horizon. And I know that this is my own grind culture and hustle culture kicking in, but it's hard for me to take a week off of everything. It just feels like there's always something that has to kind of be done. So my breaks now look different. I still work over the summer. I mean, not still, like I work over the summer. I didn't work over the summer when I was a teacher, but the breaks feel different. So although I think I emptied my tank leading up to February, I was able to kind of shift my focus away from some of those hoops that I had to jump through and papers that I had to write. And I could focus more on the practicum observations that I was doing. I got to observe student teachers in their placements with two different teacher education programs at OISE. And that is just literally such a gift to get to go into schools, to get to hold space for teacher candidates, to get to reflect back what they're doing so wonderfully, to get to ask questions about how the placement is, to talk through some of those pain points about the trickiness of, you know, being a guest in somebody else's classroom, being able to just dive right into that work. I was seeing, you know, maybe three, sometimes four student teachers a week, um, like one or two a day. It was just such a nice way to not be stuck in front of my computer all day, which is so much of my life right now. And then I also got to take that field work. And then the other great thing is that I was making, I still am working on this very short film clip about that field work. The, the greatest thing about, there's so many greatest things, I'm probably going to be using that sentence a lot, but one of the things that I'm really enjoying about this new chapter of being in education is that these skills that I have in these very different parts of my life, I'm able to use and apply. I am not a genius when it comes to any kind of digital multimodal composing, but I like to dapple in it. And I've recently become really, uh, I used to love pages and creating um, any kind of like design document on pages. But now I'm really obsessed with Canva and I've been making, you know, short film clips on Canva. I started that last year with one of my courses and you know, experimenting with a new platform and being able to learn the ins and outs of what it can do and what it can do better than some of the other things that I've used has been really fun. So I really enjoy the creative side of this role. And then the other thing that has been happening this spring is that I'm, I feel like I've been putting together proposal after proposal after proposal for different things. Um, and a lot of what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is like fervently checking my email to see if I've heard back from those. So some of the proposals that I've put out there into the world was a conference proposal for NCTE, National Council of Teachers of English, which is, you know, a mostly American-based organization, but that's where all the English teachers kind of go for support and resources and inspiration. Um, I also submitted a proposal for the Literacy Research Association Conference in Atlanta. Uh, I put together two fellowship applications and also a grant proposal for OGS in case Shirk didn't come through. So a lot of, you know, these little, a lot of it is, you know, repurposing a master doc of research proposals and like repurposing it for each of the different proposals that exist. And a lot of it is just kind of like flinging yourself into the universe and seeing what happens. I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but I remember seeing somebody on TikTok who created a challenge for themselves of wanting to get rejected from a hundred things. I, I don't know if I'm making up that number, but I love the spirit of what that is all about. It's basically saying, 
you have to put yourself out there quite a bit in order to get rejected a hundred times. And sometimes you're going to be, you know, putting yourself out there for things that you're not even quite ready for, or that you're not even qualified for. But if we don't act on that, and if we don't put ourselves into the position of saying, yeah, why not me? then we're never going to get anything. So I keep remembering that as I'm checking my email and, you know, waiting to hear back from some of these things that actually getting rejected is part of the process. And if you're not getting rejected from things, you're probably not putting yourself out there enough. I remember after I had graduated from my drama undergrad, and I remember just feeling absolutely revulsed by the idea of going to auditions or getting rejected because a profession in the theater has so much rejection involved. And I just remember not feeling emotionally up for that. And so choosing a different path that didn't involve so much rejection. But now I'm like, you know, jumping back into that and it feels really different. It feels, you know, I'm being rejected from things and I know that that is a part of this process. And I think that I am more emotionally mature than I was at 22 to be able to put that into context and to know that a no isn't a reflection of me. A no is just a no. So now where am I? Well, I have submitted grades for my class, which means that I get to see who has consented to my study. Part of doing research as a teacher in a classroom with my students, you know, there's ethical questions around that, you know, like if I'm giving students grades and evaluating their work, it's never going to be perfect. But one of the feedback pieces that I got from the research ethic board approval processes was that uh, you need to have some kind of mechanism so that students don't feel like their participation in your study will be reflected in their grades. So if they say no, they don't want to feel like if they got a, you know, quote unquote bad grade that that was because they said no. So I had to, I had to create a way for students to sign consent forms and then they would be blind to me. So they went to my, one of my supervisors and then he held on to them until my grades were submitted. So now my grades are submitted and I will be very soon handed an envelope of consent forms. Um, I've already received some digital consent forms, which I haven't yet opened because I feel too nervous about it. I want to do them all at the same time. And then I get to reach out to people who are in my study and start to interview them, uh, which feels like another little mini step forward in the journey. I have to, you know, collect data and then analyze that data and then write about what was in that data. And that's really exciting because it means that I'm getting one step closer to doing it, to actually finishing this program. The other really great thing that I now feel like I have the bandwidth for again is putting together another season of the podcast. That's why I'm here. That's why you're hearing me in your ears right now. And I had a conversation with one of my friends, Adam Kaplan. If you're listening to this, Adam, hello. How are you? I love you. You're amazing. And this was a few years ago, but Adam was kind of, you know, gently nudging me around the possibility of the podcast and what things we could do with it and things that, you know, he sees as next steps. And in that conversation, I remember talking about planning out an entire season. And at that time, I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth for that right now. It's really at that time, a couple of years ago, it was really maybe bank two or three episodes ahead of time, but it's like, oh, this is an interesting idea I have. I want to interview that person. It was very emergent. And you can probably tell that based on how all over the place some of the episodes are, which I think is a good thing and a tricky thing. But now that I'm like really gearing my professional focus around 
the intersections of digital literacy, critical media literacy, digital multimodal composing, youth civic engagement. I want to use the podcast as a vehicle for going deeper into some of those topics, for bringing you into some of those topics, for exploring what questions come up as I'm you know, grappling with some of these things on social media. What are the things that you need to know more about? What are the questions that are arising for you? Who are the experts that you know? So to put the research in conversation with the networks and communities that I am speaking to and creating for through this podcast and on social media. So for the very first time, I'm actually planning out a season, which is so, I know it sounds really dorky because probably anyone who's been creating a podcast who's listening to this probably knows that that's something that people have been doing for a long time. But for me, it feels new. Uh, so I have the last episode I had Anita Lee on and I've been following her work for so many years and I just decided to reach out to her and ask her to be on the podcast. And I don't know why I was surprised that she said yes. I think I've just been, you know, there's this divide sometimes that exists between people in the world and us. And actually that that's a very thin line. And a lot of people are very happy to come on and talk about their work. And it's an honor actually to be interviewed. So it was a delight to get to interview somebody that I have known and followed and been admiring their work for a while. That's episode 77. So it's the one right before this episode. But I also have a few episodes in the bank that will be coming out after this one. And these are really cool, big players in the world of education. And it feels different for me to be strategic and thoughtful about the arc of an episode. So I'm, I'm envisioning this to be about 10 episodes, more, maybe more or less, depending on uh, how things go. And that they will all be loosely tied together with the themes of this dissertation. And I don't know if that will be, I'm curious about how the data of these conversations, how the things that arise from the experts that I talk to, or the things that arise from the social media conversations that I have, how that can inform not only my reflective practice, but also the direction that this research takes. So stay tuned on that. There'll be more updates and more reflective episodes in the works. I think a large theme that's coming up for me as I'm reflecting on my own journey as a creator and as somebody who's dappling in digital composing is the importance of intentionality and the importance of having a vision underneath the reason why we're doing what we're doing. That's a huge part of how I am framing the study that I'm doing, the importance of intentionality, the importance of having a lens on the work that we're doing with digital multimodal composing. And I think that if I'm writing about something and if I'm researching something, I wanna bring myself into it too, because I am part of this research. I am part of what I am studying and including my own voice, including my own reflections, including my own narrative journey in it. I. I believe is an important ingredient in that mix. Um, and it's been a huge part of my practice as a writer since I was young to be thinking reflectively about myself and about my own work. So we're going to close this reflective episode off here, but I'm going to do something a little different with the closing. I'm going to close with my own ticket out the door. I've never actually done this before, but I use often the same questions. So you're probably going to recognize them. And 
I like it as a way to kind of like close things off. Again, another piece of this time capsule that I'm trying to collect. And maybe with a future reflective episode, I can come back and do these questions again and see how they change. So the first one, something I am grateful for right now is... Well, it's my children. It's my two boys. It One just celebrated his third birthday. One is sick downstairs, about to celebrate his seventh birthday. But <laughs> while the big one was sick the other day, we were snuggling on the couch. He's just said, Mama, I love our family. <laughs> like, I love our family too, buddy. But it's so hard. It's so hard on these days where one is homesick and the schedule gets disrupted. But I'm just really grateful for how these two little children keep me, make me a better adult, make me a better person, make me a better learner, make me a better teacher, make me a better educator. So grateful for those two little humans. Uh, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is, well, after I go to the bathroom is have coffee. I, I have a coffee maker set for 5.02 and I come downstairs by 5.05 usually most mornings. And first thing I do is have, I have coffee. That's essential. The last thing I do before going to bed I usually talk to my wife. We're usually just like chatting in the night and then abruptly I'm just like, okay, good night. Like it's usually like a mid sentence. Um, But the last thing I do is I talk to my wife about our day. The most recent TV show I binged and loved who, well, I'm currently watching season three of Ted Lasso right now. um, And yeah, the writing is going down. I don't love it as much as I did season one and two, but I am currently you know, binging is different for me. It's like a binge for me is like one episode a night. So there's that. Oh, and Emily in Paris. It's so fluffy and it's like kind of a ridiculous show, but I, I feel like it's like replacing the Sex and the City fashion niche that I loved 10, 15 years ago. So Emily in Paris is probably another one. Pie or cake? Always cake. And the cheapest grocery store cake. Um, you like the light, fluffy, spongy cake with like that kind of like whipped cream frosting. Yeah, cake. Um, beach or mountains? Beach. Always spring or fall, spring. I quite love the season right now. I like how it's very cold in the morning. Awesome for running. Um, But I also love all the cherry blossoms right now in Toronto. And I love all the things popping up through the dirt. Um, Fall is where my birthday is. And I love fall colors. And I love me a cozy sweater. But spring, 100%. Uh, What would be my last meal on earth? Last meal on earth would be... This is hard because I want all the things. And if it's my last meal on earth, I kind of want to have like a buffet of my favorite meals. But it would either be French fries and like a cheeseburger or spaghetti bolognese with like garlic bread and a really nice kale Caesar salad. I don't know why I would eat salad in my last meal on earth. This is my last meal on earth. I don't have to be healthy. Um, So yeah, either like a spaghetti bolognese or burgers and French fries. Uh, okay, last one, our second last one. If I'm starting a podcast, if I'm starting a podcast from scratch or what would be my dream podcast first three guests? Yeah, I don't think I've ever talked about my dream guests before. It would be, I'm gonna go with living because we're gonna like stick in the realm of the possible. Three dream guests would be Nancy Atwell. I've talked to some people offline about how much I have been influenced by Nancy Atwell's work and I'm fascinated by her as a human being, um, especially recently. So Nancy Atwell would be number one. I think another dream guest would be Alan Luke, who is a critical literacy researcher. I love all of his writing. I feel like it doesn't make sense, but I feel like he's my friend and I would really want to like nerd out with him on 
literacy and power and politics and social justice. So Alan Luke would be um, my nerdy researcher person. And then maybe slightly adjacent to the field of education, um, maybe Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle. Those would be like, I don't know, I feel like as a white lady, I'm like compelled to have to like their work. And it's really cliche, but I do really love their work. And I'm sad that Brene's podcast is done for now. um, But I'm often finding myself listening to Glennon's podcast and resonating with a lot of the things that I'm thinking about in the world. So maybe it would be like a joint episode with Glennon and Brene. And I know that I'm beyond my three guests now, but I had to go back and relook at some of my, because I I create lists upon lists upon lists. And I I have a list of podcast um, dream guests. And like, annoyingly, a lot of those people I actually have gotten on the show. But one that's actually on my dream list that I've never actually invited or reached out to is Jen Gonzalez from Cult of Pedagogy, who, if you don't know their work, you definitely need to check out her stuff. Um, But I just think that she is a genius and I would love to have her on. And maybe I just need to like do it and send the email and like add that to my list of, hey, maybe that'll be a rejection, but I gotta try. Um, So Jen Gonzalez would be on there too. Last one is, what is the future of teaching? And I've asked this, like, all of the guests that I've ever had on the show, but I've never actually answered it myself. So without a lot of forethought, future of learning is personalized, is networked, it's connected to the world outside of the classroom. It's for audiences other than teachers. And it's solving big problems in the world that young people care about and that is attached to their interests, their passions, their curiosities. I'm going to leave it there for now. I feel like I could do a whole episode on that. (sighs) That's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you're still with it, um, I appreciate you. I like your brain. Uh, And this is the weirdest part about a podcast is that it's a one-way conversation. I'm literally just sitting in my spare bedroom talking into a microphone, but I want to hear back from you. So find me over on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow and share back what you thought. Tell me who your dream podcast guests are. I want to know what's burning you out right now and also what's giving you life. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.